Hey, howdy, hey, everyone, and welcome back to My Sister Made Me View It, covering Megan's pick. Shocker, I went straight from Way of Kings to my next pick being Words of Radiance. Well, I guess I did force you to read Warbreaker in the middle, but we didn't cover it this deep. This week, we are doing a deep dive into Chapter 4, Taker of Secrets, Chapter 5, Ideals, and Chapter 6, Terrible Destruction. It's Emily's first time through the book. So Emily, I'm going to ask you, what was your what was your general thought on these chunk of chapters? So when we started Way of Kings and there was so much information, it felt like that a little bit in these first few chapters only because I feel like Brandon Sanderson is setting up a lot to do with the spren. And as I'm reading it, I'm just like, oh my gosh. I know I'm missing half of this, so I'm glad I have Megan here to explain a lot of things to me. It was a lot of info-heavy chapters, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. Yeah. What's interesting is when Way of King starts, you don't have any frame of reference for all the information that you're getting. Right. And it's very much like setting and establishing characters and, and establishing look how cool the world. This world can be. Yeah. And in this second book, it's like, okay, here is a huge lore information dump in every single chapter. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, not this week's reading, but last week's reading, Yasna told us, like, so much stuff. Yeah, she did. And she tells us so much stuff again this time, too. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to get started uh, with the epigraph in front of chapter four, another clip from the journal of Navani Colin. the next clue came on the walls i did not ignore this sign but neither did i grasp its full implications mm-hmm. and remember i've already said i'm super worried about this because something bad already happened and we're just getting like teaser trailers for it all right do you remember when dalinar very first started having visions i mean i remember in the book right he was given a number in that vision do you remember what the number was no okay (laughs) don't punish me for being stupid i'm not you're not We're we're starting something new with this book called Dot Drop, okay. where instead of me trying to force Emily to do connections, I'm just going to tell her interesting points of data, okay. and if she if she puts them together, she puts them together, and if she doesn't, we're just going to enjoy the plot of the story. Okay. So there you go. Nice. Uh, chapter four starts in one of Dalinar's visions, and. Where is he? He is at the Pure Lake, or what he assumes is the Pure Lake, and he's in an army, and they're running through the water, and he describes it perfectly. It's not like they're just kind of like sloshing and like making their way. They are running so that their knees come up and their knees are 90 degree angles, like they're high-stepping it through this water, and it's not like, oh, we're just going from this little outcropping to this little outcropping. As Delinar looks around, there is absolutely nothing nothing so they are they're in the middle of nowhere in the middle of Mm -hmm. a lake because the pure lake is huge yes and what i love is that last book we got all this information about the pure lake from someone who lives there and like all the ins and outs and this is what it looks like this is what it feels like all this sort of stuff so we don't have to spend time on that 
here. We can focus on the stuff that is strange and new for the pure lake because it's a location with which we are already familiar. <laughs> but sweet, sweet Dalinar is always trying to give information because he knows Navani is there in the room with him as he's having this vision. And so he's trying to give her as much information as possible. And so he is going through, like, trying to place what era these these uh, soldier outfits are from. And he's doing a pretty good job, but he's not a historian. Like, he doesn't mm-hmm. quite know. So he's just kind of throwing out things, hoping that something's going to make sense or something is going to, to help that. But in the midst of all this... We find out there's not nothing in the middle of this lake. It's this fortress. And as it's explained, all I can see is Saruman's tower. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Because it says it is, it's a castle-like structure that rose straight from the still lake waters. He'd never seen it before. Jet black stone, obsidian. Perhaps this place had been soul cast. And he's still describing things to Navani, saying, hey, there's this fortress. It cannot still be around because if it did, like, this would be, like, a landmark of the (laughs) world. (laughs) Fin-like sides rising toward peaked tips above towers like arrowheads. And he's just like, whoa, this thing is amazing. (laughs) So he is out there with a group of probably two dozen guys. Mm -hmm. Um, There's there's another group that they're, they're approaching. And there is someone there with them, a shard bearer. And what is unique about this shard bearer's armor, Emily? It's a lady. What is unique about the shard bearer's armor, Emily? It glows. (laughs) (laughs) I was so excited to talk about the lady knight. That is exciting. What color is her shard plate glowing? red. And I have something else about that. It says... Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. It glowed with a deep red at the joints and in certain markings. Armor did that in the shadow days. This vision was taking place before the recreants. But shadow days is all one word, but it's lowercase. So I'm assuming we're going to learn more about the shadow days. But my Mm -hmm. English brain was like, that's important. Although I don't know why it's not capitalized and it's bugging me. We saw another vision of Dalinar's that took place the day of the recreants. Do you remember what happened? Is that, that's the one where they're at a fortress and all the hundreds of the knights came out? Not the radiants, mm-hmm. but the knights came out. No, stuck there. knights radiant. They they are the same thing. That's, I thought you're the thinking radiant, the heralds? I'm thinking the heralds. You're right. You're Thank you very much. Thank you okay. for your patience. Um, that's when the knights radiant all came out as a group put their shard swords in the ground and left shard blades oh, dang it. <laughs> how long have we been doing this okay to be fair to you we haven't recorded on this book for probably two months yeah yeah thank you again i'm back in california now and i forgot my playstation 4 <laughs> and now i spend my nights cross stitching instead of gaming and Guess Regressing. what? That means that she'll have to come back, not to see me, yep. but to get her PlayStation. Because <laughs> my PlayStation doesn't know how to do Zoom calls. My PlayStation can't podcast with me. <laughs> um, 
But that Wait. is that the recreants? That's when yes. they stick all the shard blades in the ground and leave. Okay. Yes, that's the day the the radiants all laid down their arms and their armor, and they abandoned mankind. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the glow a little bit. There were two colors glowing on the day that Dalinar saw the recreants. Do you remember oh. what colors it was? Blue. Uh huh. And gold. Uh-huh. Yes! Yeah! <laughs> Thank you. I pulled that out of nothing. <laughs> you did great. Now I'm going to ask you one question harder. Oh, no. How many swords were in the ground? <laughs> oh, well, do you remember? There were 10 of them. <laughs> there were a little more. There were at least 10. <laughs> at least 12 dozen. Yeah. Dalinar said that there were probably, I think, 200 shard bearers that day mm-hmm. which he only knows of like a hundred blades in existence now so it was like staggering amount yeah. anyway but do you remember what terms someone used to refer to these two different groups of radiance were they different not classes but like studies like yes okay i don't remember the correct term though but i do remember that each Harold specifies in something, and so all the knights that follow that Harold also specify mm-hmm. in that thing. Yes. What's the term for that? Uh, so one of them was Windrunners, mm-hmm. and I believe the other group were Stone Wardens. Okay. So I've given you a bunch of dots. That blue were Windrunners and yellow were, I think, Stone Wardens. Okay. Can I ask you to conjecture (laughs) about this lady in red? The red ones? Well, okay, I don't know if this connects, but this is where they meet a Thunderclast. And the Lady Knight goes out to fight it. So is she just like a physical fighting radiant? Maybe, yeah. So we've just, we've we've met our third kind of radiant. How exciting. Oh, I also want to point out back when Dalinar had his very first vision that we saw where he was the farmer in the Dell. <laughs> um, both of the nice radiant he met there, I believe they both glowed blue. Because they talk about, well, maybe not. Dalinar, I think, takes up like wind stance or something mm-hmm. with the poker blade. And anyways, okay. Really, really fast. Um, so... As Dalinar, this is just something that occurred to me, is Dalinar is out in the pure lake. Dalinar's kind of looking around at the pure lake, kind of going, oh, I've always wanted to come here, but it obviously hadn't ever happened. And I was wondering, Megan, where is a place that you have always wanted to go to and just never have gone, but you would still like to go? Listen, I've had a passport for eight or nine years now. And I've only been to Vancouver with it. (laughs) There are many places I want to go. I want to go to Japan. I want to go to New Zealand. I want to go to islands off the coast of Greece. I want to go to Norway. I want to go to lots of places. I just wonder if there was one in particular that you were just like, oh, if I could go here, I'd be very happy. No, not no specific place. What about you? Do you have a specific place in mind? I want to go to Iceland one day. See the northern lights? Just drive. Our friend Priscilla, uh, she takes really beautiful photos. In her last trip to Iceland, she did a bunch of Aurora Borealis photos. Like, I, my vacations are, my life is so busy. 
everyone's life is busy, but my life is so busy that when I go on vacation, it is to do nothing. It is to go <laughs> sit on the beach and read a book or, you know, just walk around and enjoy nature and unwind. And I would just want to go to Iceland and mm-hmm. just go look at things. I was going to say, your vacations are to do nothing except for the times where I bully you into running a long-distance race with me. (laughs) And then we sit around and do nothing, and it's a vacation. (laughs) I cut you off when you were talking about that. I just, I had wondered about that. Oh, no, I I didn't have a specific place. There are just, I would like to be well-traveled, and I'm currently (laughs) nil-traveled, so. Although I really liked Vancouver when I went. It was very beautiful. So Dalinar's trying to figure out what they're doing, and they're told that they are looking for very specific spren. In particular, spren that are doing things they shouldn't be doing. But I'm just like, there are hundreds of spren that do hundreds of different things. How are you supposed to know, oh, this one is acting weird? Well, I mean... Yes, there are hundreds of spren, but there are spren for specific things. Mm-hmm. So, like, wind spren hang out with the wind, and flame spren are by a fire. And so, mm. uh, I think, like, a similar thing in, in our life, our our reality, is you would notice if a rock wasn't obeying gravity. Oh, okay. Even though rocks can do lots of things, <laughs> they can roll. <laughs> um, there was a name I told you to write down. Do you remember what the name was? I don't think I wrote it down. Um, Sanarji. San, Sanajay. San something. No. <laughs> Sia Anat. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah, I was yes. not close at all. <laughs> You, well, do you know what? You start out with the letter S. Okay. So, here we go. Once Sia Anant touches a spren, it acts strange. I I want you to put a big star next to Sia Anant. Do you need me to spell it for no, you? No, I will do it. <laughs> and Dalinar does find something weird, and it's a spren with glowing red eyes. And so that was weird enough that... They, like, start chasing it through the water, through the pure lake. And then it's so cool the way that he describes this, but basically, like, this giant stone person comes out of the water. How high does it say, like, 15, 30 feet high? I know that's Mm -hmm. two very different heights, but it's huge. It's gigantic. And the Night Radiant goes out to fight it, like, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we find out that this is the Thunderclast. The Thunderclast! When was the last time you saw a Thunderclast? The Prelude! Prologue yeah. to the Prelude. No, Prelude. The Prelude, awesome. Downer actually spots two different spread. There's the tiny one with the red eyes that oh. catches his eye. Mm-hmm. And then there's a larger one, like, like a full figure, six feet tall. That's what dives down into the rock, and then the Thunderclast comes down. So the spren goes down and the glass comes up. <laughs> so does the the six foot spren? Okay, this part was not confusing, but I just don't think I got it. Yeah, it's it's mysterious and unclear what's happening. But yeah, so the the Sanarjat, San, what is 
Sia a gnat. Sia a gnat. So think, I saw a gnat. Oh, that's great. I can remember that. It, he, she, whoever touches the spren, spren do weird things. The six foot spren dives into the water. Does it wake up a thunderclast or does it like dive into the rock and become the thunderclast? Do we not know? I'm going to rafo this one. Okay. Okay. As long as I get an answer. Don't hold your breath, but rafo. <laughs> okay. And then I'm thinking, we're going to get this huge battle. We're going to get this really cool thing because people are like coming out with hammers. They obviously know how to fight this thing. It's not a brand mm-hmm, new mm-hmm. situation. But this is when Dalinar starts talking to the Almighty, quote unquote. We know from past conversations that mm-hmm. this being is dead and we're basically just listening to a recording of it it's a voicemail yeah i like that but he's he tells them that he didn't teach the knight's radiance how to fight tell me if i got this right or not the purpose of the knight's radiant is was the purpose of the knight's radiant was to rebuild after a desolation but suddenly they are being the protectors they are being the fighters they are being proactive before the destruction comes and it's Mm -hmm. puzzling this being like it doesn't Mm -hmm. know why they're not not following orders but that they're growing outside the boundaries yeah yeah that uh, a desolation pretty much knocks people back to the stone age every time information gets destroyed cities get destroyed like Mm -hmm humanity is just basically yeah back to the stone age so yeah at the end of way of kings Mm -hmm. when that mysterious man showed up at the very end when talon comes back his big long talinolite yep hey i think i'm crossing wires with another scene okay forget i said just forget it banish it from your brain Okay. okay so um Man, I wish I had a copy of Way of Kings. <laughs> I left my leather bounds at your house. <laughs> <laughs> Yasna even mentions to Shalon that not all of the orders of Radiance were about fighting. Mm-hmm. That there were people for teaching and for politics and for all this sort of stuff. Okay. So that the heralds each have like a special division of, of knowledge, I guess. And then they teach things to their Radiance who are then supposed to teach them to the people. But like you said, to the almighty surprise, the Knights Radiance started to try and stop the desolations or like delay them. Yeah, yeah. And he goes on to again say unite them all these things that he said before what 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 does he recommend to face odium what does the almighty recommend to appoint a champion so i don't know if they mean challenge odium one-on-one like i like i don't i don't know i odium everyone seems to be afraid of this person like a lot like a lot a lot a lot i don't know that they have anyone at their disposal except me oh maybe seth does it oh maybe seth becomes the champion because odium's champion no against odium the one that they're going to okay oh okay i see what you mean sorry i thought that he was saying pick someone to go fight odium 
But they're saying Odium would pick a champion and we would pick a champion. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's Got time it. to do, 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 duel. <laughs> yeah, so Odium will take that chance instead of risking defeat again as he has suffered so often. So I was confused, and I'm assuming this is going to be another Rafo, Um, but I was confused if Odium is so powerful, but he's mm-hmm. lost before. That's my question. <laughs> If he's so powerful and he's lost before, hopefully he can lose again. Yeah. So we know from the end of the last book, Odium is what killed this person who's talking. Right. Did he? Gosh darn it. I wish I had my other book in front of me. Did, Did the guy speak of himself in any other terms? I don't know. This is my fault for coming unprepared to the podcast. Because uh, I know some other terms for this guy. And I'm I'm very worried that I... Oh, wait. I, <laughs> there's a phrase about death and you know this. Blank is dead. God is dead. Try one different word. God was dead. Nope. Is dead is correct. <laughs> Sounds like... No, never mind. No, Forget that's only it. three Forget words, it. and I filled all in three thingies. God is not one of the words. Oh, well, then why did you say God? I didn't mean to. I meant to say blank is dead. Try a different word at the front. We are dead. No, it is one of the slight spoilers that you actually know about this book. I know about the book? Yes. <laughs> Since when? Since you're like, I know this one scene and I know somebody says this phrase in it. Honor is dead! <laughs> I, I do <laughs> Something you know about the book. I know? <laughs> Me? Yes, Emily, who else is here? Thank you for being so patient with me. I appreciate all right. you. So, uh, Dalinar's going to talk about this with Navani a little more, but Dalinar doesn't believe this being is the almighty, all-seeing, all-knowing God because, because you were surprised by the coming of the knights and this force, this enemy, managed to kill you. You were never God. God knows everything. God cannot be killed. So who were you? Mm-hmm. And he says something like, Similar to this to Navani mm-hmm. because I don't know if Dalinar, I can't remember if Dalinar or Navani are afraid of being blasphemous. I would assume it's Dalinar. Navani is pretty much like whatever. But he says, let me find it. Oh, he says, God isn't dead. If the Almighty died, then he was never God. That's all. So I appreciate, I appreciate that. But um, yeah, <laughs> speaking of Navani, as Dalinar wakes up, he sees her and he waxes eloquently in his head how beautiful this woman is and what she's wearing and what she looks like. And he is smitten with her. And I think it is so cute. Mm-hmm. She's pretty. She is pretty. But she's trying to write and, and catch up with everything he's saying. And we find out that he actually had been speaking a different language. And she's like, I'm a little rusty at this. Please try to talk slower in the future. And he's like, I'm literally doing my very best. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, he Dalinar's like, all right, I've got a new job. I have to refound the Knights Radiant. And Navani's like, okay, but why you? Mm-hmm. Dalinar says, why is one man born a king and one man born a beggar? It is the way of the world. I would like to pin that as an important Dalinar, this is how he believes the world works. Okay. I love him to pieces. But he's like, some people are destined to be noble and some people are just destined to be not. And we talked about this in the first book that one of the things that's interesting with Dalinar is he's he's gone through a lot of character stuff in his past, but it's interesting to see someone on a character journey. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like a nice and pithy, you know, phrase he's saying right here, but it, it belies a way that he sees the world that even though all this stuff is challenging his preconceived notions of divinity, propriety, tradition, all this sort of stuff... He's still seeing the world in very strict black and white binary terms. So, again, this also might be a Rafo, but um, does he believe that people can become noble? Or is he talking about, like, you're born into royalty, you're born into your position of power sort of a thing? Like, can um, you become a better person? I'm wondering if if that factors into it. I think you can become... I, I, I think he feels that, like, any man can become a better person, but... Because he um, wants Elokar to become a better person. Yeah, but Elokar was born nobility. That's so true. he should just be a better person. Just kidding. I, I feel that was a misrepresentation of the point I was trying to make. But he has such high hopes in Elokar because Elokar was born mm-hmm. noble. Mm-hmm. Dalinar doesn't have such high expectations of, you know, like dark eyes that he knows. Specifically. (laughs) For a random non-specific example. (laughs) These two are just cute. They really are. They're just cute together. Uh, They're working on some kind of proclamation. We'll hear more about it in the Bridge 4 section. But uh, there's a a proclamation that they're working on and they know all the high princes are going to hate it. With a fiery passion. Mm Mm-hmm. But I want to jump into, because we did mention their their almighty conversation, but I want to jump into the reason why they're talking about the almighty is Navadi is like, can I move in with you? It's so tiring to walk between our two apartments, our two places that we live. It would just be so much more convenient. Well, because she lives in the palace and he lives in the Kolinar war camp. And we find out from Kaladin's chapter that it takes an hour to walk from the Colin war camp to the palace. Why, why doesn't she want him to move into the palace? Just I think it would set a bad precedent for a high prince to move into the palace. Okay, I see that. But he's also blood related to both the previous and current king. Right, right. And as such... He's got a pretty strong claim to the throne. I mean, he's 33% of the people that (laughs) conquered Alethkar and united it. Yeah. Not 50-50? No, it was Gavilar, Dalinar, and Sadius. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. So that's the thing is Dalinar is... Okay. So the West Wing. (laughs) (laughs) Which we love. Yeah. There's a storyline in the West Wing pretty early on in the first season where Sam Seaborn is in... Okay. I realize now that not all of our listeners have seen The West Wing, but one character ends up in the office of the press secretary. It's because... 
What's his name? Rob Lowe. But in Parks and Rec. Yeah. Uh, What's his name? uh, Rob Lowe? Yes. In Parks and Rec. Who does he play? Uh, Chris Chris Traeger. Traeger. Yeah. Uh, And Sam Seaborn is who he is in The West Wing. And he has befriended a woman and found out after the fact that she is an escort to pay for law school. Anyway, CJ is taking Sam to task that you are a member of the White House staff and you cannot be seen hanging out with an escort. And he's like, CJ, it's not what it looks like. And, you know, that's that's not what this is. And then CJ says, I don't care what it is. I care what it looks like. And so I feel that's what Dalinar is feeling right here. That Navani is like, ugh. Like, you know, forget that. You know, let's say she puts out your suggestion. You should move into the palace with me just so we could be together. I know you don't have any intentions of going to the throne. And Dalinar's like, but think of the optics. Like, yeah, the Blackthorn's been taking a lot of power and everyone knows that he's the one behind this proclamation. And then all of a sudden he leaves his war camp to move into the palace. Uh it, it undermines Elokar's position as king and positions Dalinar more and more to be like, oh, he's who's really in charge. Got it. And I feel like he's trying to keep distance. He doesn't like, want it to look way. like there's a puppet on the throne. Yeah. That makes that makes sense. Um, And so Navani's like, can I move in with you? And he's like, no. And she's like, well, they're not going to let us get married either. So what are we going to do? And so then she brings up... A, this is very much, I think, a Yasna's mom kind of thing as she's attacking this from different points. And she's like, it can't be the morality of it. You said God was dead. <laughs> and Daladar says, something is either right or it is wrong. The Almighty doesn't come into it. Mavani is just like, I'm sorry. The Almighty doesn't factor into whether his commands are right or wrong. Again, we're seeing like, Dalinar has a very strong inner sense of what is correct, what is incorrect, what is right, what is wrong, and he's not even going to let the spirit of God like a fire is burning (laughs) tell him if he is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. And Navani's just like, listen, I am accustomed to getting what I want and I am not patient. (laughs) <laughs> but Dalinar's just like, she is patient. She can be patient. It just means it doesn't suit her at this time. And so I wonder, what has she been patient about? Like, was she patient enough to wait for Gavilar to die before she could go be with Dalinar? Or does he know of other times she's been patient? Well, it has been. Listen. We know that Dalinar and Navani have been making secret goo-goo eyes at each other for ages. Gavilar's been dead for six years, nearing on seven years before Navani's finally made a move. Mm-hmm. It's like me, how I always complain about how I have to wait about news from, like, interviews or pitch meetings or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I have to wait. I hate waiting. I hate it. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm good at being patient if I have a couple people to complain to. <laughs> but then... But then... Dalinar falls asleep, and that's it. <laughs> but then... <laughs> Dalinar wakes back up, and what, what, happened? what happened? There is a glyph <laughs> written on the... Is it the wall? Yeah. The wall, and um, 
It says they hadn't been there before. 62 days, the glyphs read. Death follows. And there, it's not like written with paint or anything. It is scratched into the surface of the wall. Now, it's very important to note that Kaladin was not standing guard when these glyphs were scratched. (laughs) He was escorting Navani back home. You gasped and covered your mouth. What what up? Oh, I just had a terrible thought. A terrible thought. What What if it's Seth? What if he's playing serial killer mind games with Dalinar because he's been assigned to kill him, but he wants Dalinar to have a fighting chance, so he's just like, hey, buddy, because it's written in white rock, assassin in white. Okay, um... It's explained what wrote the glyphs, right? Yeah. Well, it's... there was dark white scratches forming the glyphs. Okay. No, um, there was a chunk of of white rock that had been pried from stones in the window. And so they just scratched it with, with something that was found. And, and Emily, these are very fascinating dots that you're connecting did you write it down in your sketchbook no i'm i just realized it now and now i'm terrified okay we don't know if teravangian gave seth any more specific instructions because when whenever seth has done an extravagant assassination Mm -hmm. he follows orders to the letter of what his masters have demanded so yes it is possible that this is a carefully dictated this is what you're supposed to do because like remember that's how Teravangian knew that Seth wouldn't kill him is he gave him instructions to have a little bit of NPC dialogue beforehand and then Teravangian would be able to intercede and be like I've got your oath stone you can't kill me <laughs> so it like you said Kaladin was not standing guard and he is just beating himself up over this I mean, like, this is his one job. You have one job! (laughs) He had escorted Navani away, then come back to find this. So an hour there, and an hour back, and then had immediately sent men to check on and retrieve Navani. Mm -hmm. Now, now of course, it's only an hour if you're walking. I'm sure Kaladin hastened. Yes. But they're trying to figure out who did this, and they bring in a female scribe. Her name is Rushu, and uh-huh. she's she's offended almost at the quality of the glyphs. She says, look at the sloppy lines, the improper symmetry. Whoever did this is not practiced with drawing glyphs. They almost spelled death wrong. It looks more like broken, and the meaning is vague. Death follows? Or is it follow death? Or 62 days of death and following? Glyphs are imprecise. I want you to think through that paragraph again. Okay. What if they meant to write broken instead of death? Broken follows? 62 days and the world breaks? Maybe. 62 days until the desolation where everything breaks? Maybe. Maybe they meant to write death. I was just thinking things as I was reading that paragraph again that was like, huh. 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 But everyone has come back. I mean, we've got Dalinar, Mm -hmm. Adolin, everybody's back. And uh, Adolin's not happy with who's there. (laughs) Kaladin hurried over and hopefully didn't see how Adolin's jaw tightened as he regarded the man. 
Delinar had been fighting the Parshendi Shardbearer when Kaladin and Adolin had clashed on the battlefield, but he'd heard talk of their run-in. His son certainly did not like hearing that this dark-eyed bridgeman had been put in charge of the Cobalt Guard. Adolin does not like Kaladin. Does not. Like, okay, he's me. He's me. He makes a snap second decision about someone and nothing is going to change his mind about it. And in book one, his stubborn judgment regarding Sadius was rewarded. Mm -hmm. So Adolin is distrustful of Kaladin the way in book one he was very distrustful of Sadius. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, Dalinar completely trusts him even to the point where Dalinar, we hear his thoughts, why do I trust this person so much? Why do I trust this man Mm -hmm. that I just met with my life? And later we find out with the king's life because... He wants Kaladin's men to guard the king as well. So we've got two very different viewpoints from the same family, which I really, I really mm-hmm. like that in this this book. To be fair, Kaladin is hiding a pretty big secret from the Colins. Mm-hmm. It's none of their business. I mean, Dalinar needs to refound the Knights Radiant. You think the fact that Kaladin has Windrunner powers might be relevant? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, oh, something that we skipped earlier on in the chapter. Uh, How? We're being so thorough. I have a theory. Um, Okay. So when Dalinar's having the vision and the Knight Radiant is standing there glowing basically in stormlight... Dalinar realizes that the men who are following the knight also are glowing faintly of stormlight. <gasps> oh, hey. So does that mean Bridge 4 is going to become superpowered people? Could I get you to write that down in your notebook? Yes. That because they're following a knight's radiant. Mm-hmm. I think I already uh, did. Oh, good. You're a good reader. You're good. You're good at stories Emily thank you that sounded weird and sarcastic but I mean it (laughs) that stuff that in book one would have made you throw up your hands and be like I don't know what it means that (laughs) now you're you're putting it together piece by piece you're picking up the dots that are dropping (laughs) connected them so anyway that's that's my theory is that we're gonna get super powered bridge Dalinar says something in italics near the end of the chapter the ever storm comes I'm going to help you out with something I was vague about earlier. Okay. In his early visions, mm-hmm. the voice says to him, it is but a thousand days and the Everstorm comes. Oh. And I'm pretty sure that was in some of the death rattle quotes from the first book as I'm well. i that phrase sounds very familiar. Yeah. So Roshar has 10 months and they have four weeks in each m- month. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so that gives us a year is about 280 days. And it is but a thousand days in the Everstorm comes happened during a death rattle that took place, I believe, in 1171. Oh. So that gives us about three years until the Everstorm would hit from 1171. Like 1173 right now. <laughs> it is so so the how many ha, ha, what was the number on the wall two four six eight ten it should be f- less than five years like four years it's closer to three than it is to two 
It's emotionally closer to a million. million. 28 rounds up to three. So it's more like three, six, nine. So it's a bit more than three years. What is the number that was left on Dalinar's wall? 62. 62 days, death follows. So are we thinking 62 days, something happens that is a sign leading to the desolation? Are we thinking the desolation happens in 62 days? Mm -hmm. There's no we here. This is just what you think. (laughs) Anyway. Pure uh, conjecture. Check at the beginning of this chapter. Mm -hmm. What date is Navani's journal? 1174. So very close. Mm. Mm. Uh 62 days, not enough time. It was apparently all he had. Oh, listen. In literature or uh-huh. movies or entertainment, uh-huh. Uh-huh. it is, I'm not going to say always, but it is usually a very good idea to have a ticking time bomb. Sometimes literally. Sometimes the heroes are trying to race against the clock to get to a bomb. This is a great time bomb, I'm going to call it, because we don't know what's going to happen at the end, but we know that something is coming. Yeah. Example, in the book, The Lord of the Rings, there isn't a pressing scheduled need of when Bilbo needs to take the ring. I'm sorry, when Frodo needs to take the ring. Like, isn't it like 11 years after he gets it that he finally starts going? on over to Mordor. (laughs) One does not mosey into Mordor. One does not simply mosey. Yeah, you're right that if we didn't have the overwhelming time pressure, then there's there's no like real driving force of we have to get this done by this time. Mm-hmm. Um, now, slice of life stories, they don't naturally come with a ticking clock like this. Right. But a story like Taken... He has to get to his daughter before she dies, and he doesn't know how long his ticking clock is. Mm-hmm. So, like, it it can either give you a specific sense of urgency, or you can just be like, I have to get going before this thing happens. But it's it's good for the audience to know how much time you have. So, Emily, did you ever watch the famously ticking clock show 24? I never did because the ticking time bomb gave me so much anxiety. <laughs> Uh, For our younger listeners who aren't familiar with the show, uh, 24 had 24 episodes in a season. They were each hour-long episodes, and they covered a 24-hour period in which the main character, Jack Bauer, had to avert some huge disaster. So each season was just one day out of his horrible, hectic life. (laughs) I only only remember watching season two, Mm -hmm. but yeah. That, and, and just before every commercial break, you would cut to the countdown clock and it would go bing, 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 bing. And you'd see like how, how far we were. Uh, Emily, we have an, an in-world artifact in the book that we're going to look at next. Mm-hmm. What, what is this illustration that we see before us? It is a glyph. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Sorry, I just read the, I just read. I want you to read it for the podcast. <laughs> so someone has taken to sketching this glyph, and it is uh, a piece of 
several glyphs. So like there's a there's a master glyph at the top and then it's underneath it's it's kind of broken out saying this part of it means freedom, this part of it means bridge four, this part means this, this part means this. And the note by the by the person who wrote it, which is Naj N A Z H says I had to spend hours watching Bridgman to sketch their stupid forehead glyphs so you could have them, my friend. I'm pretty sure this is how they were designed. So we don't know who this person is. We don't know why they're watching the Bridgman or sketching the glyphs or anything. Or do we? You have a look like I... you're about to contradict me. No, no, no. You don't know. Okay. I kind of want to give you a Cosmere freebie. Oh, great. I'm ready. It sounds like this would be a friend of Hoyt. It sounds like... Uh, so this is a friend of somebody else named Chris. And before we started the book, I was like, do you have your way of Kings handy? And you were like, no. And I was like, ah, do you have any of the Mistborn books? And you're like, I don't have the Mistborn books. I don't. Um, why are you making so, fun of me for that? <laughs> sorry. So I'm going to give you a Cosmere freebie. And people who don't want Cosmere spoilers, you can skip ahead for a bit. At the end of each book is like a little glossary called the Ars Arcanum, which is details on the magic systems for each book. The idea is there is a character in the Cosmere named Chris who is a scholar. She is a scholar of Cosmere-specific magics, and she writes out all of this terminology. Okay. And this guy, Nas, is a known associate of Chris. So when he he says, oh, I did this for you, my friend, we're assuming that he did this diagram for Chris. Oh, that's sweet. Uh, yeah, so they're... they're uh, scholarly. I don't know. It could be the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So Chris originates from a an originally unpublished book called White Sands, mm-hmm. uh, but it's recently been being adapted into graphic novels. Oh, that's so cool. If you ever want to check her, yeah, check that out. Check her out. So at the end of each book, and we, we talked about it a little bit in our, uh, our in-between episode, but I didn't talk about Chris there. Okay. Um, when we went deep into the Ars Arcanum, you remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so we see the top is the tattoo that Bridge Four gets. That Kaladin the, can't. Because at the bottom left, what details are there? Oh, Kaladin's forehead brands, which are Sash, Sas, Non, Shash. Then there's the Bridge Four uniform insignia. That's the one that's on my jacket. Right. So, Sas and Non, those two glyphs indicate, uh, which princedom in which he was enslaved. He's from the Sadius's princedom. And Non, I believe, is the, like, the month or the time period in which it happened. And then Shash, so, so he got Sas and Non in Amaram's army. Mm-hmm. And then the Shash brand, which means dangerous, was like a special little extra glyph. So have a great shout summer. out to the yeah, have a great summer. <laughs> so in the fiction of the Stormlight Archive, Nas is the one who drew this page. In the reality of our world, Isaac Stewart is the one who designs the glyphs. Oh, so cool. good job, Isaac. They're beautiful. Awesome. All right. Chapter five, ideals. Emily, will you read us the epigraph? It says the sign on the wall proposed a greater danger even than its deadline. To foresee the future is of the void bringers. <gasps> okay, do you remember in book one where we're like, why is it bad to see the future? Emily, 
According to this epigraph, why is it bad to see the future? Because that's what Voidbringers did slash do. That's a Voidbringer skill. But we figured out the Voidbringers are the Parshendi, but we haven't... Did we? But we haven't seen a Parshendi tell the future, right. have we? That's, but that's to be I'm fair, saying. we haven't gotten any Parshendi point of view chapters. That's so. true. That's true. Now I'm waiting for that to happen. <laughs> Probably won't. I mean... <laughs> Why would we want to see the point of view of the war from the point of view of the enemy? Surely they couldn't have anything interesting (laughs) to contribute to this story. I mean, they're just the enemy. (laughs) (laughs) It is a Kaladin chapter. Now, Emily, I know you don't have your copy of Way of Kings here. And I know this isn't something that you studied or that you looked at, but I want you to look at the picture that's on the chapter heading. Tell me what it is. It is a picture of a very, 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 very thin, I'm assuming, crescent moon with a whole bunch of spears pointed up and then a, like a, a banner or a cape tied to one of the spears. Now, does this picture look familiar to you? Uh... I'm sure it does. I'm sure I've seen something like that before. Okay. But the 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 chapter heading as well has the female stone faces in it and the double keyhole eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So this spear picture is very similar to what was at the heading of all of Kaladin's chapters in the first book. Mm-hmm. However, in the first book, there is a tattered and torn cape leading off of the spear. Spear. And in this book, there is a specific cloak that has specific glyphs on it. Do you remember what specific glyph cloak? No, I do not. At the end of the last, right? It's okay. Listen, it's okay. At the end of the last book, Dalinar had his battle cloak cleaned and presented to Kaladin as as that's a gift of thanks. That's right. Yeah. Okay, I do remember that part. So the idea is that this is, uh, I feel. That this is supposed to indicate that Dalinar's cloak is uh, the spear, which represents Kaladin. Perfect. Speaking of Kaladin. Speaking of Kaladin. He's annoying the heck out of this poor crier who has been sent out to basically read the proclamation that explains to everyone how the new system is going to work, that different high princes are going to be paired up, and that you're assigned to go get gem hearts at certain times, and that the gem hearts mm-hmm. then belong to the king, who will then divvy it out. So right. he has made her read it, like, multiple times. And he's like, again. And she's like, ugh. <laughs> but she does. Yeah, she does. Uh, this is what Dalinar and Elokar talked about when Dalinar uh, nearly killed him at the end of the last mm-hmm. book. Just to prove he could. <laughs> and so uh, this is something that they've been expecting. Kaladin's kind of, I think, been given the heads up about this. But he also lets his men know our work is going to be cut out for us now because people, when you threaten to take something valuable away from them, are going to make a fuss. And I have rights. <laughs> it's a free country. You can't tell me what to do. I, we've never done that, Megan. What are you talking about? <sighs> Real life is stranger than fiction. Um, I love his train process, his tr- thought train, whatever, train of thought. <laughs> because he's like, 
People are going to be mad. His shard train. <laughs> His blade His sword. His train sword. <laughs> His thought process is the princes are going to be pissed. Therefore, in order to change that, they're going to try and get rid of the threat, which is Dalinar. So they need to put extra men on the watch, but they don't have a lot of people they can trust. So they need to be able to speed run the friendship plot with all of the other bridgemen that have been saved by Dalinar. And the way they're going to do this is feeding them. Not sitting yes. them down and lecturing them and telling them you have a very important job. It's they're gonna like get them feeling like human beings again, and mm-hmm. from there, they're gonna get to. This sounds so trite, but they're going to befriend them, <laughs> to you know, to encourage them to want to protect Dalinar and everything, which is important mm-hmm. because you can do your job. Anyone can do a job. But the thing is, like, if you have a really bad attitude about said job, you're not going to be doing your very best about it. But if it's something that either A, you believe in, or B, you're happy to do, you're going to put a lot more thought and effort into it. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. they don't have a lot of time to get this done. But Kaladin's kind of assigning people like, Rock, you've got to train cooks. You know, yeah. They're just, let's get this going. And he's also like, no budget. Buy whatever food you want. We're going to eat like kings for a solid month. And Rock cracks a joke about I won't even put dung in it because that's what got him sent to the bridges in the first place is he made Sadius eat <laughs> um, <laughs> And there's a line that says the others chuckled. Not Kaladin. Laugh. Not Kaladin. But Sigzel comes up to him and is like, okay, so it's time for science. And Callan's like, um, excuse me? Sigzel says, you promised I could test and measure your abilities. And Callan's like, I promised? And Sigzel says, yeah, when I asked you, you grunted. You chuckled. <laughs> okay, you so crazy. Chuckled. Wait, wait, what's that? Well, I did. But then you chuckled. But then you chuckled, and now the floor I'm not is so shorted. Okay, monsters incorporated. <laughs> so <laughs> here's a theory I have. Uh-huh. Remember back to one of the interludes, and there were the Ardents who were measuring Spren. Uh huh. I'm wondering if he measures something Kaladin does and writes it down. Does that mean? Kaladin is stuck only being able to do it at that level. That's my question. And and how do you feel that Kaladin's powers are connected to Spren? Don't they say in a a later, because we get a lot more like Spren info dumping from Yasna and Spren info dump. (laughs) That the Spren are the heralds of the heralds? Am I making stuff up? I think you're playing Mad Libs with what they said and you're putting Stormlight-related words in there. You put enough enough buzzwords in, something's going to stick. In our last reading, uh-huh. Yasna said that Honor Spren were the light eyes of the cognitive realm. I think that's what you were trying to say. I swear there's a part where they talk about like the Spren or Harbringers or the 
Spren are like the Spren are returning once again to men. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Hey, uh, who's the who's the most famous Spren that we know? I say famous. Who's the most well known Spren? Well, to you us? told me who it was and didn't let me make the connection myself. Who? The Night Sister. I meant I was talking about Sill. Oh. I was trying to. I was trying to. Uh, and I didn't tell you. Yasna Colin told. And you. then you said, "Did you get that? That's the spread." And I said, "I did not get that. Thank you." <laughs> Why are you mad at me? I'm, I'm not, giving you I'm dots. <laughs> I think I'm mad because I didn't figure it out on my own. Sorry, I was I was trying to do like a smooth transition into talking about Syl and Khaled and chatting with each other. And that's what happens. And she's like, why didn't you laugh? And she has tuned into the fact that he is about to go through a depressive episode. Mm-hmm. It like he's free free, quote unquote. I mean, he's he's done what he set out to do, which is free the Bridgmans and you know he has Dalinar's word that they are not going to have to run bridges anymore he's basically got quote-unquote a cushy job is not really the right one but it's an important job he's been Mm -hmm. elevated and all of a sudden he's realizing there is a lot of responsibility what is it all for constable constable (laughs) and so we see in this chapter kind of the the decline of his mental happiness oh because he's like i'm just waiting for something to go wrong because that's how my life is nothing stays good for long okay so don't worry about me but when too many good things are happening to me in a row Mm -hmm. i like to stop and take a moment to really appreciate Whatever wonderful thing is happening to me, whether that's Christmas with my family or like I'm on a beautiful walk or I've done some work that I'm really proud of. Not because I feel that, oh, this means something bad is going to happen because Kaladin, I think, is almost there. For me, it's that nothing is good all of the time. Mm -hmm. So personally, I always like to really appreciate and like recognize moments where I'm really happy because there are going to be bad days. Just everybody's got it. I mean, obviously my bad days are nothing like Kaladin's bad days. Uh, book one, we had a we had a sliding scale because each day would bring some new horror for Kaladin and we wouldn't know like where he would stand. Yeah. But it's very sad that Kaladin feels that the bad times are coming to stay. Yeah. And that the good times are not meant to be permanent. And it's sad. Poor dude. He asks Syl if she's ever seen anything like the the countdown. And she says, I remember something, she whispered. Something bad. Seeing what is to come, it isn't of honor, Kaladin. It's something else. Something dangerous. Well, the Voidbringers that see into the future, bad and dangerous. Yep. They're probably not of honor. No. I have a question. If honor is dead, how come Syl is still kicking around? She's the ghost of honor. <laughs> I thought she was the ghost of Delinar's <laughs> wife. <laughs> hey, how did Delinar's wife die? Okay, so we talked about this in one of our episodes, and you never gave me a straight answer, which I think is oh, okay. the answer that I'm looking for. They never say she's dead. 
They do say she's dead. <laughs> they don't. She's they just do. out it's of at the, the picture. Feast, and Dalinar says his wife has been dead these ten years. Dead to him. And <laughs> okay, listen, hold on your hope. Maybe I'm doing a bit here right now, and I'm tricking you, and I'm doing a what is it called? Misdirection, red herring. So there you go, Emily. Chekhov's dead wife. Oh, oh, oh no, I, I messed up. Dalinar's wife secretly alive somewhere. I'm going to get a totally fine. moment where he and Navani are getting married and they say, does anyone object? And she bursts in and he can't see who it is. And then everyone finds out his greatest shame that he doesn't know or remember his wife. And then Navani's going to be like, so you don't love me more than you love her because you don't remember her. And they have a dream and they have a dream that they're kissing. And Navani just assumes that's how pregnancy happens. <laughs> Sorry, that just happened in Roswell. The episode we watched. Megan yesterday, was I'm not, still mad about it. Not here for that. <laughs> All right, come listen. Come listen to our Roswell podcast. Why no one else does? <laughs> That's not true. Ted does. Ted listens. Hi, Ted. Thank you, Ted. Ted listens to all of our podcasts. He's our number one fan. <laughs> so, we finish the conversation with the honor ghost, and now. We have to go listen to Weiner but Sadius about how sad his life is because, oh, he got the Oathbringer, but that's not how he wanted to do it. That's how I feel about it. He's like, he's like, it's everything I ever wanted, but this isn't how I wanted it. And I think Dalinar got the best of me and this whole thing is the worst. So are you saying that what a character wants and what a character needs may in some cases actually be different? different? What? I know. It's like Sadius, Sadius classically got his wish. Mm-hmm. He got everything he thought he wanted. But it's hollow. And it's not enough. Yeah, it's, it's not satisfying in the least. And so here's my question. If he, because he talks about how, I mean, he wanted Oathbringer. This is something that he wanted. It's not like, oh, what do I do with this now? How did he think he was going to get it? Was he pre-planning to kill Dalinar to get... Like, how else are you supposed to get someone else's sword? I I think he wanted to kill Dalinar and take it. That he would, uh, after Dalinar got wiped out on the plains, he would have wanted to go back and retake it. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that we get to see through Sadius's eyes what he thinks is going on with Dalinar. Yes. That, like, it isn't a front. The stuff he said to Dalinar at the end of the last book is what he actually believes. It's not just a story. Mm-hmm. Dalinar Colin, driven mad by grief. Over what, Emily? The disappearance of his wife. The, di- the, the word starts with D. Uh, <laughs> uh, driven mad by grief. Broken to the point that battle frightened him, still clung to life. And then we meet a character who is not a surprise. She... Because I told you about her. She got mentioned in the first book. We just didn't mention it in the episode it happened because we were so excited about uh, Sadius's maneuvers he was pulling. But she was mentioned in the last book. Not by name, but she was mentioned. So I'm still counting her as a surprise wife. 
She's not a surprise wife. I just did it. Do they say if she's alive or dead? Up. We don't know anything else yes. about her. She's just no. They, we do. I can't believe neither of us have copies of Way of Kings right now. But it's in the chapter Giblet-ish. Uh-huh. Also, listeners of import. And it's also the chapter where Wit says Adenalsium. Oh. Adenalsium, Dalinar asks, what's that? And then Wit's like, nothing, it's a nonsense word. And then he's like, gobbledygook, giblitish, blah, 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 blah. And then he's like, Rafo. <laughs> Rafo. <laughs> so, in comes Sadius's parenthesis, surprise, parenthesis, wife. In comes Sadius's completely normal and expected <laughs> wife. Because in this society, high-born men need to have wives to do their reading and message writing for them. Her name is I-A-L-A-I. It's a palindrome. I-A-L... Perfect palindrome. I-A-L-A? E-A-L-I? Uh, yeah, I'm going to say E-A-L-I. E-A-L-I. I like that one because okay. it almost sounds like eel. Oh. guess what? Because she kind of is. Sadius describes her as the most dangerous woman he knows. And all of a sudden, I'm going, excuse me, there's Navani, there's Yasna Kalin, you know these people, and I... Intelligent isn't the same as dangerous. I would argue, though, who turned a man into crystal, and who fireballed a man? Right, and it's common knowledge that Yasna does this. <laughs> it's, not. it's not. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's like, it is? Uh, no, I, well, I don't think so. Nobody else has mentioned okay. it. I think this is her kind of, like, private hobby she does to tease <laughs> She's us. a vigilante. Emily, I, okay, so, back in book one, mm-hmm. when we talked about the first set of interludes and we met non-Balat, yes. you said that you hated to think of what sort of person would marry non-Balat, and then I'm pretty sure I start laughing. And it was because I was thinking about this couple oh. and how perfect Sadius and Eli are for each other. Nice. That neither of them are, you know, Sadius isn't handsome of the face. And Eli has never been described as a, you know, great beauty. But they were drawn to each other through their own intelligence and through their own, like, perception of how dangerous the other is. And I think... They're a really good pairing. Because we don't get pairings like this very often. It's either mm-hmm. some kingpin with his, like, beautiful, wonderful, sweet, soft wife who has no idea what's going on. Or... Hey, say that all again? Like a kingpin. Why do I say uh-huh. that again? Just, just do it. Okay, like... Big, tough kingpin guy. Okay, and then yes, next... I know. This is the daredevil plot. I get it. Nope. Um... <laughs> Kingpin Say it again. with his soft, uh-huh. sweet, wonderful wife who has no mm-hmm. idea what's going on. Cool. Or we have, you know. Mm. What? That was nothing. That was for the audience. What? Is there you a said something like significant. Said- you said something hugely significant just now. <gasps> I did. I'm so smart. You I did. I don't even know it. <laughs> I know. But I know it. You know it. And, and that's enough. When it's. When it's revealed, then I will tell okay. you, so you know it. Oh, excellent. Um, Rafo. Rafo. Um, but yeah, what I'm saying is we usually get a very power-imbalanced couple. Either, well, I guess I already said that. And the idea that we are getting a balanced, powerful couple, even though I 
hate them is going to be very interesting to read. I'm going to say it. They're couple goals. Yeah. (laughs) They are an evenly matched partnership that thrives on mutual respect, uh, but they both still have their own intricate lives and hobbies that they pursue, which both coincide with murder. Like running an assassination ring that no one else apparently knows about. (laughs) Right? Okay. Okay. Prologue of this book. Mm -hmm. How many of Eli's assassins is Yasna Colin paying without realizing it? Yeah, I was thinking about that as I read this chapter because Zach, let me find the exact phrase really fast. Um, his wife ran the most impressive network of spies. Okay, I call them assassins. They're spies. I mean, they could okay. be both. Let's, you know, not... Spice assassins. <laughs> let's not, you know, knock people down and their aspirations. Um, so she ran the most impressive network in the war camps. Most impressive indeed, since very, very few knew of it. So I'm wondering who knows of it. Is it Thaddeus and Ilani? Not Ilani. Eli. El. Her. <laughs> that woman. <laughs> and I would think, I mean, if it's in the war camps, I don't know how often Yasna's been there. I don't know if she knows about it, but... I, I want to know who the very, very few people are. It's not very few. He writes very, very few. And so I'm just like, is that just two people plus the spies? Like, who is it? Who knows? Oh, uh, sorry. You mentioned this before and I didn't dive into it. But Eli's name is a perfect palindrome, mm-hmm. which we know that people try and have their names one letter off or, or one syllable off. Mm-hmm. But her parents named her a perfect palindrome and she kept it. She never changed her name. And the vanity of that is one of the things, and the confidence of that, that's one of the things that drew Sadius to her. Uh, I'm just a girl looking for my Sadius. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they, they talk about the proclamation that went out and basically Sadius is like this is not going to stand i'm going to go talk to the others and raise their indignation at what dalinar attempts he wants he says we need to fan the flames so he's actively trying to undermine the high prince of war the blackthorn his best friend Mm -hmm. because he's talking about like going and fighting for the gems initially was enough but i miss the actual thrill of battle and okay i think this is so interesting in these two readings because Dalinar's goal, we find out later, is to make Alethkar basically a light in the darkness, to make it as elevated and wonderful and perfect as possible. And Sadius also wants to make Alethkar powerful again, but through war means. Like, they have the same goal, but two very different ideas of how to make go Make Alethkar great again. <laughs> um, I want to I wanna read his dialogue that he has about this. Okay. Because... I love this. Mm-hmm. I'm not meant for this, love, Sadius whispered. This stupid game on the plateaus. It sated me at first, but I'm growing to loathe it. I want war, Eli, not hours of marching on the off chance we'll find some little skirmish. Oh, he wants the thrill. The capital, capital T, T thrill. Which is, it's interesting that Dalinar is learning to reject the thrill and Sadius is continuing to crave it. There's uh, one more thing I want to read. Okay. Uh, 
where he's talking about how the proclamation is going to alienate uh-huh. Dalinar. He will push the high princes and they'll take up arms against him, fracturing the kingdom. And then with blood at my feet and Dalinar's own sword in my hand, I will forge a new Alethkar from flame and tears. What if instead he succeeds? That, my dear, is when your assassins will be of use. So Delinar has double assassins after him. He's got Seth coming and he's got the possibility of these other assassins coming at him. Dude is in trouble and doesn't know it. I'm going to end this off with one more line. Mm -hmm. I will conquer this kingdom anew and then Yaakoved will follow. After all, the purpose of this life is to train soldiers. In a way, I'm only doing what God himself wants. I loved that. I loved how he is convincing himself that this is right and this is good. But it will totally benefit him. But he's only doing it because it's right and good. I love it. I think it's a great character. I hate him. I hate his guts. I think he's a great character still. His loyalty is to the country or his ideal of Alethkar. It's to the democracy. The republic. (laughs) And it gave me very uh, Black Panther vibes. Like in the first Black Panther movie where Killmonger has come in. He's taken over everything. And Nakia is going to take the queen and Shuri and basically get them out of there. And she is like talking to Okoye saying... You have to come. You need to come too. Like, let's go. And she's like, my, like, basically my whole purpose is loyalty to the throne or loyalty to Wakanda, which is, you know, whoever is ruling it at the time. I'm not a spy like you who can just flip their loyalties left and right, depending on the situation. And I thought it was such an interesting take with Sadius that he doesn't, like, Dalinar is... Like you said, 33% of, you know, the reason Alethkar is the way it is and everything and and related to the past and present king. Mm -hmm. But he's like, Alethkar needs this. It is the land, our country, our culture or whatever. And screw everything else. I'm going to make it great again. Boo. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just thought that was a very interesting point of view that... It's not like, I want power, I want wealth. It's, well, I mean, he does, I'm sure. But the idea that his loyalty is to his country. And, and the the thing is, is that even though he and Dalinar and Gavilar all fought together, they all had different ideas of what it means. Because mm-hmm. Dalinar is like, Alethkar can be better than this. And Sadius is thinking, Alethkar is going in the wrong direction. And mm-hmm. like... They both agree that they don't like how things are now, but they each want to take it somewhere different. Yes. <laughs> it's really good. I love this books. <laughs> Sidebar, we're about halfway through our reading, and this episode is long, and I want to tell you how much I'm enjoying this. <laughs> like, I, Evelyn, I love spending this time discussing this book in such detail with you and i just want you to know i'm having i'm having a great time with you and i love you i love you too does it outweigh all the bad roswell episodes i've made you sit through 
Yes, because to be fair, only every other Roswell <laughs> episode is bad. There's there's a lot of listen. I myself am experiencing a scale of good days and bad days akin to Kaladin's Storm Blast. And episode 18 of Roswell was a, no, 17 of Roswell was horrible day. And episode 19 of Roswell was worse. But 16 and 18 and 20 have been okay. <laughs> <laughs> good times i'm pregnant with your child you had a dream about kissing him but now she's pregnant megan she's not though (laughs) they they retconned it in the very next episode because my guess is everyone like people saw this and freaked out and they're like okay we better listen this is not our roswell (laughs) podcast to Kaladin. Sounds good. Kaladin who's taking the hour walk between um, the palace and the camp. No, I don't want to. Can we skip this next part? Because Moash plays a big part in it and I just don't want Hey. I'm going to ask you to extend a little grace to a Bridgman that I love. Ugh. If he was our protagonist, you would like him. That remains to be seen. <laughs> he okay. is... Okay, be in your bonnet. Let's talk about Moash. <laughs> but first, can I just real fast mention Kaladin walking by the surgeons? Yes. Kaladin is thinking about his dad as he sees Dalinar's surgeons. Mm-hmm. And he is uh, considering, he's like, why did I join Dalinar's guards? Why didn't I insist... That all of the Bridgman train as surgeons instead of warriors. Uh, Kaladin had chosen to put his men in the path of the storm again. Why? And I want you to call back to... Listen, Kaladin is not a full Knight's Radiant. We know that he has spoken the second ideal of the Knight's Radiant. We don't know how many ide- how many ideals there are. Although... Time is a circle. The door is a jar. If I could hazard a guess... Uh, It'd probably be a uh, significant Roshar number. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we have learned before that different orders of radiance have different purposes. And I'm wondering if, because Kaladin never feels, he's very good at being a surgeon, but it doesn't come as natural to him as fighting. Right. Like it feels good when Kaladin fights. It's not the thrill, it's something different. Because. Again, with his spear, when he picks it up, it's mm-hmm. almost like this hypnotic, magical thing. And he's very good at it. And he's very good at surgery, but it's it's not the same. And it's it's been proven that it is not the same. Like you said, though, even though he is very good at it. Yeah. So they're hiking. Kaladin is not even breathing hard. The rest of the Bridgman are... <laughs> and Moish is like, okay, that's not fair. That's because cheating. Kaladin, I was like slurping Stormlight <laughs> the whole time. So, but then he smiles only for Sil's benefit. Because it's funny. Only for Sil's benefit. Yeah, but he doesn't feel it. Emily, yes, this is sad. This is sad to me that... He has to put on a performance for Syl. And do you know what Kaladin needs? A friend. 
yes, he needs someone with whom he can be his authentic self without having to worry about being a leader or being radiant. And Emily, that person is Moash. No, are you serious? No, I mean, they, they talk about it in the book oh. that that Moash doesn't call him sir. Oh, that's and he right. and Moash can have, like, frank conversations with one another. And yes, Moash doesn't automatically always do what Kaladin wants. But that doesn't mean that he's at cross purposes with him, like in this book, in what we've read so far, that, listen, a lot of these Bridgemen have side character energy, and Moash has protagonist energy, but for a different story. Because mm-hmm. we know Moash, we found out in the last book that he's driven by revenge. Mm-hmm. And I, I saw a quote on Tumblr today that made me laugh, mm-hmm. and it was like, before you set out on a plot of revenge, make sure to dig two graves. And the other person, like, the person replied is like, you're such an idiot. I'm going to kill way more than two people. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did catch that because it talks, Kaladin mentioned specifically that all the other Bridgmen idolize him, but Moash doesn't. And so, okay, listen, I can see how that would be a necessary relationship of hey i need to be able to maybe have some doubts not that you know and express them and think them through and and talk to someone who's not gonna be like but you can do it because you're amazing and you can do anything that's not helpful sometimes it's not and so this this specific little scene that we're talking about here is a lower ranked light eyes who kaladin kaladin outranks militarily but not socially Mm -hmm. uh it's kind of brusque asking Kaladin, I heard you held a bridge. How did you do it? And Moash instantly jumps to Kaladin's defense and is like, how about we show you? <laughs> and Kaladin's like, simmer, settle. And when it's done, uh, he doesn't, you know, call Moash out in front of everybody. Moash actually catches up to him and is like, why did you pull me back? Like, why did you react like mm-hmm. that? And Kaladin says, you're in the wrong you're a soldier. You have to learn not to pick fights, which is some of the codes, by the way. <laughs> And Moash is like, I'm not going to bow and scrape before a light eyes. And Kaladin's like, I'm not asking you to. And they have a confrontational moment. And it ends with Moash still being upset. He falls back into line. He's smoldering. And then, like a half a page later, Moash comes back and says, hey, you were right. And I, I like that. I like that Kaladin now has someone that he can talk to about these things with and they can disagree, go their separate ways, but still mutually respect each other, think it over from their point of view, and come back. And Kaladin needs this because now he doesn't even have this in Syl. In the first book, Syl was his confidant. But now he feels like he even has to emotionally protect Syl the way he's emotionally protecting his Bridgman. Mm-hmm. And I like Moash's story and it would be nice if you could say a few kind things about him now and again. <laughs> I will put that on my list. Here's, here's one thing as I'm listening though. I think one of the reasons I don't trust him is he feels uh-huh. there is a specific word and I was just thinking of it. Shoot. It's perfect for this. Vi- he feels uh. like he's, he's going to go off at any moment. He's too volatile. I was going to say he has impetus. Yeah. Although that 
that sounds like a medical condition <laughs> but that yeah and that makes me nervous is that he has such a hair trigger and that is going to cause i'm pre-worried for the problems it's going to cause in the future mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. listen remember how i was reading this and and you were like and Kaladin's big. And I'm like, no, Kaladin's a shrimp. And we had this whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is what age is Moash? Because that might also. He is just a couple years older than Kaladin. Okay, so he's still young-ish. He's, he's still young-ish. Okay. He's probably closer in age to Adolin than he is to Kaladin. I've been picturing like this 45-year-old man. That's Teft. <laughs> That that makes it feel a little a little more realistic is to have like this hot headed temper on yeah. a younger person. Okay, okay, I'm I'm trying to reassess, but right now my relationship to Moash is as Adolin's relationship to Kaladin. Yeah. Don't like him. Mm-hmm. And maybe someday you'll get to yell and scream and say I was right, I was right, and then maybe someday I'll get to be like. See, you were all freaked out over nothing. <laughs> Rafo. <laughs> Rafo. <laughs> that was a good thought about Moash, by the way. That was that was well thought out and well said. I think about him a lot. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I'd like him better if you would storyboard about him. Maybe that would Listen, do it. In his defense, I only storyboarded a scene where he was being a real chills. <laughs> I think that might be a huge part in it because I'm just like, yep, this is how it is. All right. I love that you and I are able to approach something as opposites and we can still disagree and then come back to each other again because, all right, Emily, I'm going to kick a hornet's nest. When I was reading the books, I don't like, like at this point as I'm reading the books, so Mm -hmm. not considering anything that may or may not happen after. I don't like Seth as a character. Okay. And it was very funny to me to see you instantly be like, protect the boy. And I'm like, boys will be held accountable for their actions. That's not <laughs> exactly how I feel about him, though. I know, I know. So, But I understand where you're coming from. Uh, I feel that there is something in me that is connected to the temper and frustrations in Moash And I'm going to project on you a little bit that you feel doing what you're told and living your life according to your beliefs is more important than anything else, even if it causes you discomfort and pain. And that's why you have tender feelings for Seth. Because we each... feel bad. (laughs) So we each have... Listen, different people can like different things. It's okay. I'm not saying die, Moash, die. (laughs) Not yet, anyway. (laughs) Listen, and all I'm saying is, Seth, could you maybe stop killing people? (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) But he can't. Or can he? (laughs) Rafo. I'm just very intrigued we won't get into a big set thing because i could i'm just so intrigued by someone who is like shuts everything else out Mm because you don't get characters like that very often it's either oh you really love this but what if i gave you this instead and they're like okay great i'll jump over there Uh i just i love the idea of a character who's just like above all else i am true to this yeah 
And we don't know if it's a, a winter soldier situation where he's compelled to do this. Right. I assume, like, from the Oath Stone or whatever, yeah. but I'm intrigued to find out more. Yeah. Um, I can't wait for a whole book from now when we can have, when you have more dots relating to both Moash and Seth and we can hash this out again. My hope is that Seth comes over to their side because I feel they're going to need him. So he and Moash should just trade places so everything can be balanced. <laughs> I know. And Moash is running across the land, killing whoever he wants. <laughs> and I'll be like, I knew it. I knew it. He was a bad egg. <laughs> that Moash was a troublemaker from the start. Don't look at me. He gets it from your side of the bridge, man. He's just trying to protect his honor. <laughs> really okay. quick. I'm going to leave the, the title as I'm just a girl waiting for her sadness, but my second choice is Die, die Moash, die. die. Yeah. Probably not. He's pleasant. No. Everybody's got arcs, okay? Just because he was slower to be nice than Kaladin doesn't mean he may never be nice. I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to... Kaladin's going to meet the king for the first time, and I'm excited for this. But and he is not nearly as impressed as I thought he might be, but that's par for the course for Kaladin. Yeah. First, though, there's a line here uh, where Kaladin editorializes, uh, mm -hmm. the scandalous relationship between the king's uncle and mother would have been the talk of the war camp if Sadius's betrayal hadn't overshadowed it. So... Listen, this is going to sound flippant, uh -huh. but at least it was good for one thing, is that it kind of took the heat off of Navani and Telenar. Oh, man. I was thinking about that the other day, about, like, when someone works really hard to overcome someone's, like, cruelty to them or an obstacle that was in their way, and they're like, I've been successful anyway, and I hate the thought of... Sorry, this this is from a storytelling perspective. I was trying to write a villain story. And I, I was thinking about how mad I would be if the people that I hate would take credit for my successes because they stood in my way. And, like, oh. I made them fight harder. And I was like, no, I would have gotten here anyway. I just would have gotten here sooner if it wasn't for you. You're just an <laughs> That's what you are. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> We're going to have so many whoops this episode. <laughs> I know. It's fun. Uh, we recently found out that our nieces overheard one of our Roswell podcasts. And they were talking to our sister and being like, why is Aunt Emily and Aunt Megan? They said that person was stupid. And they said crap. And they said idiot. And they said idiot. They said someone was an idiot. And our sister had to be like, okay, so they're saying those things about characters in a story, not about real people. And I'm like, we're a bad example. <laughs> We've been bleeping out all the wrong words. <laughs> uh, interesting, though. Moash gave the king a salute instead of a bow. Is it because he doesn't know any better? Like, is this a Mia Thermopolis situation? <laughs> Moash, that's the water you wash your hands in. Don't drink it. <laughs> I don't recognize these gods, uncle. <laughs> I love doing the Elokar voice. Uh, and... 
Kaladin is assigning guards and he's like, Drahi Moash, go on the balcony. And then Dalinar says, I just said, I just said there's no way to reach the balcony. And Kaladin's like, that that's the way I would try to come in. And Dalinar smiles at that. But then Elkar says, good, good. <laughs> and like, why didn't you bring these guys in sooner? Yeah, Kaladin is Elokar's new favorite person. <laughs> and it's so great. Question. How do you become a high prince? Can they make more of them or you can only have like 10 at a time? Well, when a high prince and a high lady fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering right, right. if there are 10 princedoms mm-hmm. and it's basically like... It's 10 states that, and each high prince is like the governor. And I'm sure that if one princedom finally annexed another, there would only be nine high princes. Mm-hmm. What? 10 turning to nine? Um, and I'm also sure if they were to follow Sadius's dream and conquer Yaqoved, they wouldn't just expand the high princes, but they may call in new high princes. So, yes, if if the geography of the land changes, if the borders change, you could have more or fewer high princes. I was just going to say, I feel like they like 10 because 10 is their number. Mm-hmm. I could just see... Elokar being so pleased with Kaladin in the future that he's just like you're a high prince now and either kick somebody out or Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you temper your expectations you might have forgotten because we know him very well but Kaladin has dark eyes and like Dalinar Dalinar who loves Kaladin already it is like uh range the adoption um (laughs) Dalinar is like hey I can't promote you higher than a captain. Like the other light eyes would throw a screaming fit. So listen, I think declaring Kaladin a high prince might be a bridge too far. <laughs> but uh he could he could bestow him other things. Like he could raise his non. Um That's true. he could give him land. There are landed dark eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh I think giving him a whole princedom might be i'm just thinking if kaladin is publicly going to foil an assassination Mm -hmm. which i'm pretty sure he will in the future that's just the vibe i'm getting that i don't know i don't i don't know i just thought that could be a possibility yeah so uh because emily on the top of the very next page here's Mm -hmm. a line from elokar wait the king said from behind is that a captain's insignia on a dark eyes? When did that start happening? Oh my gosh, this is where the sir. Oh, wait. And then the sir discussion people... happens. Yes, I do want to talk about that. But I also find it interesting. Yes, the king said it. But like, he he talks about like, when did we do this with the dark eyes? And instead of Dalinar saying like, this is a very good man. He saved my life. He just pulls Kaladin aside and is like, the king is really worried about assassins like he doesn't address it i just found that very interesting as well uh i don't think elokar understands the full extent of what sadius did and what oh i for sure don't think and what kaladin did to save dalinar Mm -hmm. um because the uh when when the why hasn't sadius been punished for this that's not the elected way (sighs) what somebody's just gonna 
execute sadness for that? Yes. 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 <laughs> I don't think any other high prince has that sort of authority. Like it would be something only that Elokar could declare. Right. And he just oh, 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 he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Oh my gosh. He's so He's not a good person. <laughs> he's not, and he's sheltered. Like, he doesn't understand the brunt of what happened. And I don't think he could even conceive it if they explained it to him. Remember the chasm fiend hunt when a bunch of men died and Elokar was like, oh, oh they'll be rewarded in the tranquiline halls. Like, And Adolin has to take care of everything. Yeah, Elokar is very... Okay, when I say sheltered, I don't mean to say that he's a soft-hearted soft boy. I mean he's not been given the relevant information to do his job correctly. He doesn't have the context. Like, he became king way too young, and Dalinar is like the ultimate helicopter mother. And (laughs) Elokar doesn't get it because Dalinar just lets Elokar win, and he's never had to struggle or learn about anything. And so there's this moment where where Elokar says, I like this one. Why haven't you put him in charge of the guard before? And Dalinar just says, I haven't had the opportunity. Instead of saying, he's recently been promoted for saving my life. Mm-hmm. These two do not have good communication. And listen, it's because Dalinar doesn't have these skills. All right. I mean, how did he finally convince Elokar to trust him? He demonstrated he could kill him if he wanted to. <laughs> that as satisfying as that scene was for us, and as as wonderful as it was to finally see Elokar realize a few things, Emily Elokar is a bad king because he doesn't have the relevant information to be king. They just let him be king because he's Gavilar's son, and they're like, he's noble-born, and monarchy is bad, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, did you have thoughts about this? I know I just yelled about it for five minutes. Just that I was surprised to remember that nothing happened. Like, I felt like trying to kill... And betray Dalinar like that should have been treated as, like, a war crime or mm-hmm. a crime against Alethi, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't. And I just got extremely frustrated that that hasn't been taken care of yet. And Dalinar had the chance to take care of it and decided not to because it would have led to more violence. You know, they were outnumbered She's by Sadis's men Sadis's camp. But, no, Emily, I think you're right. I think it was a mistake to not deal with Sadius. But of course, this is a kind of thinking that I believe the books posit as wrong. Mm-hmm. It's the same situation back when Liren, Kaladin's father, had the city lord on his table and Kaladin saw that Liren had the opportunity to kill him and didn't take it because murder is wrong. And is there a case where murder is justified? Can you, and this is a question Kaladin posed in the first book, can you kill people to protect others? I think you can. It comes with a huge cost, but I think you can. In the context of literature, I don't want to get into <laughs> real life ethics. Yeah, see, that's the thing is now we're back to the lesson in the in the alleyway with Shalon and Yasna, where is it right to kill to prevent killing because if killing is 
the evil you're trying to prevent, but you prevent it by killing. Okay, well then it's a numbers game, but then we've also had the discussion that the life of a man has no price on it. It is ultimately priceless. And therefore, if there is, you know, if it is without price, then killing one man is just as bad as killing three men. But is that just as bad as killing thousands of men? Can you really say that I killed one man to spare thousands? Can you take that out of context and say you shouldn't have killed at all? Are there more doors or windows in the world? What? <laughs> there's a, I, I'm sure I got it wrong. Oh, are there more? Dang it. There's a, there's a, there's a puzzle going around with the posits like, People are arguing, like, Mm -hmm. are there more doors or windows or are there more doors or wheels in the world or something like that? I feel like that's this because wheels and windows are very different, right? That's what I'm saying. Okay, hold on. Let me look it up so I can get the right thing because this is while you do, I want to I want to share a little anecdote. So Brandon is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and in the Book of Mormon, not the musical, I mean the actual book of scripture at near the beginning there is a story where the you probably shouldn't call nephi the protagonist um (laughs) there is a story where the the point of view character the person telling the tale has come across a bad man taken with wine drunk in an alley and they've been trying to get something very important from this man that will save you know many many generations down the line yeah and the spirit of the lord speaks to nephi and says kill this guy and nephi is like i killing is wrong and i've never taken the life of any man and the spirit of the lord says it is better for one man to perish than a nation to dwindle and perish in unbelief and I have absolutely zero proof that this has influenced Brandon in any way. All right? I just know for certain that this is a story that he has also read before. I feel like these books really study that question. And is a life worth... What is what is the life... What is a life worth? And I like the discussions to be had in these books about it. Question is, are there more wheels or doors in the world? And I feel like the the way that we were talking is just like, well, if you look at it this way, then you, there are more doors. But if you look at it this way, then there has to be more wheels. But, 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 but. But the wheel question is. <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoy questions like this. I mean, I love Black and white, right and wrong, yes, no, whatever. But I also love debating stuff like this. I'm not a very good debater, but I like talking about things like this yeah. where, like, the the lesson with Yasna, I remember you and I had this really great kind of back and forth about, well, killing is wrong, but this guy was killing, but the way that Yasna did it, was that right? You know, just the, the layers of everything. I love the layers of everything. Yeah. And what I think it comes down to is... There is no singular correct answer. Mm -hmm. And it's up to us, like it's up to each person to decide for themselves what is right, what is wrong, and to follow their own best judgment. 
And the problem is, is when you have someone with a very strict concept of what is right uh, and what should be done, I'm going to use Seth as an example. So like, let's say he's not compelled and he's just doing this because he feels obedience to this is more important than the lives of the people he's killed. That Mm -hmm. is his strict code of conduct. And we've just had a discussion with Dalinar and Navani about Dalinar saying that the Almighty doesn't factor into right and wrong. I myself know what is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But then Dalinar's view of right and wrong is very different from Sadius's view of right and wrong. And like we can only live our lives one way and you will not always be successful in trying to convince someone that your way of seeing the world is the correct it's true it's true because some of us moash is our favorite character and some of us <laughs> seth is our favorite character and that doesn't make us wrong but it does make us very different people doesn't make you right either it could <laughs> you don't know what happens <laughs> anyway let's talk about the sir discussion so a healthy paranoia makes the job easier for his bodyguards sir kaladin said I didn't say it was healthy, Dalinar said. You call me sir. The common address is Brightlord. Now, he doesn't say here, you should call me Brightlord. Right. He just sort of points it out. And they they go back and forth about semantics a little bit. But then Kaladin says, speaking frankly, every man I've ever called Brightlord has betrayed me. A few men I've called sir still have my trust to this day. I use one more reverently than the other, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. I love that he's like, I'm not being a jerk about this. Again, this is feeding into what I was rambling about nonsensically for 20 minutes, where it's our points of view and the value that we assign things that give them meaning to us. So even though most people should use Bright Lord as a term of respect, for Kaladin, sir, is a greater value. It's a greater level of respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and now that Dalinar knows this, I, I love that maybe he's going to learn a little bit more about Kaladin. And... Mm-hmm. I love the they're talking about who's going to be allowed to enter. And Dalinar gives a strict list of these people may enter. Literally everyone else must wait. And so mm-hmm. Kaladin makes sure to explain that to his men because... So often, and we see this in movies and TV where someone comes up to a door of like a club or a secret place and they're like, oh, my friend is inside. They're expecting me. The high prince is expecting me. Blah, 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 blah. I love that Dalinar gives them a very specific list of who he is expecting and who gets to come inside and everyone else has to wait. But anyway, uh, Adolin and Renarin show up. And they can come in. He thinks about Adolin for a lot and then he doesn't think about Renarin at all. <laughs> I I noticed that. I was like, come on, dude. Uh, And he is harshly judging Adolin and how fancy his clothes are. Mm -hmm. And how spoiled and rich this kid is. Mm -hmm. But then he has another little thought. What is it? Oh, so he's like, yeah, he did save the woman at the marketplace. Don't forget about that. But then he does look at Renarin and he makes some snap judgments about him, which, uh, listen, found this very interesting mm-hmm. because he's like oh those slender fingers have never known a day's work he doesn't know that renarin has an 
issue has a yeah yeah and he's judging him just like he hated being judged when he was a bridgeman uh-huh and i'm just like come on dude yeah uh he says he walked after his brother like a shadow i don't think renarn has any speaking lines in this i don't think he's hardly either. at all but oh my gosh adolin does not help the situation by saying shouldn't that one wait outside and he <laughs> yeah. nods at kaladin he doesn't even like Rude. yeah He's a captain, but I but uh, Adolin is refusing to acknowledge. I love, uh, yeah. I love how much of this page is dedicated to Adolin and Kaladin hating each other. <laughs> uh, loathing, <laughs> unadulterated loathing. But Dalinar strongly says that if there's one person in the army we can guarantee is not working for Sadius, it's this guy. <laughs> So, okay, remind me, just so I make sure I'm not making things up, Adolin does not care for Kaladin mm-hmm. because Kaladin bossed him around while he was saving his dad. That's the information we have right now. Got it. Uh, there may be more to it because Kaladin is is trying to convince himself that Dalinar didn't see him with Stormlight. Adolin didn't see him with Stormlight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because Dalinar later says, like, I'm going to do the Knight's Radiant, or he's going to... It's basically like Kaladin is worried, but also being like, nope, that didn't happen. They didn't see me. Basically what you just said. I'm just repeating what you said. Because if if people knew what he could do, that's going to cause even more problems. Yeah. All right. We're not going to counsel Elrond this and talk about everything they discussed at the meeting. Um, Mm -hmm. They are basically doing a quick overview of what are we going to do next? Uh, What is our plan? And it's it's them trying to decide how they're going to deal with the rebellious high princes. Mm -hmm. Um, The most important suggestion, I feel, is that they are going to have Adolin return to dueling. That's right. He tells him your sword is unlocked. Yep. And he is the secret skill has been unlocked you have enough points in the video game so like there's maybe a hundred shard blades in the world that dalinar knows of and i think Mm -hmm. there might be like just 20 in alethkar here's my question here's my question because the purpose of the dueling is there as they've discussed how are we going to get the high princes back basically under our power and everyone's kind of throwing out ideas like well if they mm-hmm. were new recruits we would take away their weapons and we would make them feel small and all that's, those things that's kaladin's idea that is kaladin's idea because he's like this is what we do in the army um and so the purpose of adolin's sword being unlocked so he can go and duel is if he duels and wins he will get to claim the shard blade yes and i'm wondering is there going to be a library system of shard blades now that have been won by Dalinar or the king or whoever like wins them or if Adolin has won them all do they all can he just call up uh, whichever one he wants or do people have to sign them out and say I'm gonna borrow it for two weeks uh for one Rafo you're asking very good questions and for two I'm getting a lot of Kingdom Hearts flashbacks (laughs) There's a couple very high-level Sora forms where he's just floating and there's just a, a circle of blades around him that he can cast about the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, Emily, we haven't seen anyone who owns more than one shard blade, so 
is Adolin going to keep them all? If you remember, listen, not that I'm saying he's a good, esteemable source. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but not that he's a respectable source. That's what I'm trying to say. When Amaram took the blade from Kaladin, one of his justifications was that we need men who are trained with the blade to hold these blades. And I will do more good with this blade than you could. Mm-hmm. So is Adolin going to distribute blades to trained men? Or is he going to just kind of keep them all as a show of power so nobody has them except except the Colins? Mm-hmm. We will have to see. And one thing is interesting because when he tells... When he tells Ad- when Dalinar tells Adolin, your sword's unlocked, you can go do this. He's like, you've told me all along that you are basically the best duelist ever. Can you win these? And Adolin's like, of course I can. And I'm like, you don't even know if your son can do the things he says he can do. Listen, I feel Dalinar... Okay, so remember in the first book where Dalinar's like trying to keep track of the women that Adolin is dating? Yes. I don't think Dalinar has been a good dad very long. Hmm. And he's very much, he's been all about the code since Gavilar died and Adolin would have been like young. Like younger than a teenager probably. Yeah. And and so I don't think, and since Dalinar has been like keep to the codes. Anyway, I don't think Dalinar has seen Adolin dueling. Got it. Also, I got a number wrong. Uh, Dalinar mm-hmm. says that there are 30 shard bearers in the army, not counting our own. Now, I don't know if that means blades only or mm-hmm. plate and blade or just the plate um there's going to be probably a total of 30 duels dalinar announces he wants to refound the knight's radiant mm-hmm. and kaladin about falls on his face and thinks he's recovered like oh nobody saw that but here's the thing is dalinar has given him so many reasons to trust him like he's a good man he saved us he's so you know, he's loyal and true and blah, blah, blah. But then, and he announces this, he's going to do the Knights Radiant. But then Kaladin also realizes, like, Dalinar is acting like the king and he's not even requesting permission from the king. He's kind of just sliding into that role, mm-hmm. which makes Kaladin nervous. Yeah. Because even though he did have that really great conversation about Sir versus Bright Lord, and he trusts Dalinar so much his life experiences every single one of them say people in power become corrupted and are bad yeah and I think he really desperately wants to be proven wrong but I think he's also stealing himself to be when this happens it's not going to be a surprise he is waiting for Dalinar to prove him right Mm-hmm. Just like he was saying to Syl that too much good is happening and waiting for something bad to happen. It's it's like you said, like he hero worshipped Amaram. He deeply respected the city lord when he first came. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just because people he trusts tell him, oh, this time it's different. Okay, so what I was saying before about how, like, Dalinar isn't giving Elokar all the relevant information that he needs. Mm-hmm. As much as I love that Sir conversation... When Kaladin's like, oh, everyone I've called Bright Lord has betrayed me. I don't think that properly explains the depth of the betrayal Kaladin has. See, I'd want to ask a question if you hadn't read this at this point. Mm -hmm. And I would want to ask, do you think Kaladin... Sorry, I just did the sin of eating on the podcast. 
Sorry. It's all right. Uh, we've been podcasting a long time. We literally both just came back from a bathroom break because that's <laughs> how long it is. Um, if you hadn't read the book, I would pose the question now. Do you think Kaladin will ever confide in Dalinar the depth of his betrayal? And Ugh. I'm hoping Amaram still gets his comeuppance. But if they don't punish Sadius for, you know, war crimes, yeah, I doubt they're going to kill anyone for taking out a few soldiers. Well, at least, though, like, Amaram's not part of the Kolinar princedom. Amaram is, like, under Sadius's purview. Mm-hmm. So we probably won't, like, have to worry about coming to direct contact with him because he's fighting, you know, out there or whatever. Yeah, um, he'd never show back up, I'm yeah. sure. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if Adolin got to duel Amaram for his shards? Like, Adolin takes out enough shard bearers that Sadius is like, I better call my shard bearers to the front lines. Um, and then it will call to Kaladin and there will be a magical transformational moment where the sword calls out and chooses Kaladin and everyone's like, this has never happened before. And Kaladin will be like, I don't know what's going on. And then one of the honor guards of Amram is going to be like, well, actually. Um, That's my goal and hope. Okay, so you're asking me at this point in the book, what would I have thought? Mm-hmm. I would have been of two minds about this. It would have been what would I want to happen and what would be the most interesting. Mm. Because obviously what I want, I want the slow burn enemies to I'm legally adopting you as my son (laughs) fan fiction where, okay, so there's this fan fiction I really love and it's called All the Things You Prayed For and it is uh, the Adventure Zone and the Marvel Cinematic Universe crossover where Taco is the Winter Soldier and Loop is Captain America and it's (laughs) so good, but... What that story is, is it's the very long recovery of kind of the stuff we were hoping to see from the movie of, like, Steve spending quality time with Bucky trying to deprogram him. Whom de hunk is bookie. Whom I said that to myself about 50 times today, and I, I realized my window was open, and my, my neighbors were just hearing me say, Whom de hunk is all right, listeners, <laughs> tangent time. Uh, there was a photo edit of the Winter Soldier where the nose was missing from his face, but his eyes were blown up really large. It's like a Snapchat filter, yeah. Yeah, and then they, they did the same thing to Steve, and the picture was just titled, Bunky? <laughs> <laughs> and, and my sister showed this to me, and after giggling to myself a second... I turned to her and said, Whom to whom is Bunky? <laughs> and it's the funniest thing Emily's ever heard. <laughs> the funniest thing that's ever happened. So yeah, I was watching Natalie Gold react to the Winter Soldier movie today, and after that scene, my brain just gave me for the rest, like, I'm sitting down, I'm trying to concentrate on my job, and my brain is just like, hum de hum kazbunky. We'll have to post that in our, on our Instagram feed when this episode comes out and put a link to the, the picture. The original. Yeah. Okay, so, I'm dancing around this. What I want to happen is for Kaladin and Dalinar to 
trust each other slowly for Adolin to just come around after spending time with them and for Kaladin to build this new found family relationship and include the Colins in it. And maybe he'd be nicer to Renarin. That'd be nice. <laughs> but from a storytelling perspective, I would have been like, like Kaladin, where, hey, I don't know, Emily, if you can see where my finger is in this book. <laughs> yes. But I, I, a storm is coming. Because, you know, the first book, the first book, I didn't know anything about what was going to happen. Right. And it was a surprise. And the same thing for you. You mentioned, you've mentioned how surprisingly paced the first book is, where mm-hmm. story happens way sooner than you think it's going to happen. And there's still so much book left. What else is there? So I don't know. We'll just, uh, we'll find out. But uh, I I feel like just for the sake of time, we need to jump over the rest. Dalinar yeah. and Kaladin talk. Uh, but I'm going to ask you a question, Emily, before we move on to the Shalon chapter. What do you think would convince Kaladin to tell Dalinar more about what it was like to be a slave and, and like how he came there in the Amaran betrayal and stuff? I would think he would need to see something. I think, okay, and I, I don't know what the something would be, but words, anyone can say anything, but I think he would need to see more of Dalinar's true self. I mean, listen, Dalinar just freed everybody and gave up a shard blade for him. And so if mm-hmm. that doesn't push Kaladin into doing this, I'm not sure what else will, but I feel like it's not going to be them sitting around the fire being like, oh, yes, and let me tell you of my trauma and let me unlock my tragic backstory. What? Sorry, you said sitting around the fire and I'm like, Dalinar needs to come to stew night at Bridge 4. <gasps> he does! But Dalinar treats Kaladin very formally. Mm-hmm. And there's there's trust between them, but there is a societal barrier between them as well still. And here's the thing, and I know we're going to jump into the Shalon chapter, but I would feel like as a, I mean, I think it would depend on person to person, but I feel like as a high prince, you cannot get too chummy with the people that you regularly send out to probably yeah. die. Yeah. So. And just... They're military guys, and there's a structure, and there are, there's a social dance to it, mm-hmm. and trust is all you can afford, because love leads to tragedy on the battlefield, mm-hmm. and they've both lost so many. I mean, Dalinar talks about the numbers, and Kaladin talks about the numbers, and like how many empty barracks there are, mm-hmm. and women just weeping in camp. Because they've lost brothers and, you know, they fathers. They talk about at one and... point they have a, a camp full of widows. Yeah. It's not just like one or two. It's hundreds of widows. Thousands of widows. And the thing is, is if they were in a, a safe space where they could decompress and Dalinar could come to stew because the war would be over and there's no more. Okay, so the Bleach musicals. <laughs> Jenny, don't listen. Spoilers. <laughs> there's a song they added in. To the last musical and it moves me to tears because it's a scene that's not in the books but the the main conflict is over and we're going to the last scene where everybody's saying goodbye 
And there's a song, and one by one, all of the characters take their swords and lay them down on the stage and walk away from them. And just seeing everybody getting to put down their weapons of war just makes me cry. And so, <laughs> hey, uh, if Double Edge Crown ever becomes a musical, there's going to be a song like that probably. Or listen, <laughs> just any musical. Any musical about fighting that I do, there's going to be a song about laying your weapons down. Oh, the last song in Encanto almost had it. I... We don't have time for a tangent about Encanto. I love Encanto and I love the story. I would have liked to rewrite the last five minutes of the movie to just hit a little harder than it does because I think all the great pieces are there. Anyway, I love Encanto. Back <laughs> to uh, we should talk about Shalon. Chapter six, terrible destruction. Can you read Navani's epigraph? Mm-hmm. It says, we had never considered that there might be Parshendi spies hiding among our slaves. This is something else I should have seen. From the Journal of Navani Colin, Jessian 1174. So I hate this because mm -hmm. this is one of those like, this is a story of how I died. And then you know something terrible is going to happen, but you have to wait and see what terrible things are going to happen. I hate it. Yeah. Uh... Listen, we did, this had never crossed my mind that any of the Parshmen could have any sort. I mean, you know, Shalon and Yasna are pretty sure that the um, the Parshmen are Voidbringers. Yeah, throughout this chapter, they're like, we have to get to people and tell them. And this is huge news. Yeah. And the Parshendi we fight on the plains are built differently from the Parshmen that live you know, that are enslaved by the human society. Mm -hmm. um, that the ones on the plains have this carapace armor and they have slightly different proportions and things and that the the parchment slaves all have, like, normal skin textures, um, but just with, like, the different marbled colorings of red and white and black. So, like, we know that the ones on the plains grow the armor, like, on their very bodies. How would you even de-shell yourself to become a spy guess who their natural enemies are who the horn eaters i'm sorry are you suggesting that rock would eat a sentient being i'm just saying they get a horn eater to eat their carapace off <laughs> inappropriate because how much <laughs> carapace are we talking here? <laughs> now that we're done with that hey shalon we haven't seen you in a dog's age yeah so it's freezing cold she's all bundled up and she talks about yakoved and how in her where she lived in her father's house that she maybe saw snow and ice every so often uh -huh. What? Nothing. I just got, got very excited. I love pattern, and he's he's enough. He's talking now. They're conversing. I was now. not done with my I know. god. I, you asked me why I was so excited. It was because I saw that piece. <laughs> Sorry, please finish your thought really fast. I know we're not going beat by beat by this, but I love this. Is that she's looking at an entire ocean of ice, and just how amazing this is to her, and that she. Is, has gone from 
I've always lived in my father's library to whoever I marry, I will go live in their library to she's on the ocean that's made of ice and she's on an adventure. I love it. Okay. Um, I'm sorry to bust your bubble a little bit. This ocean isn't made of ice, but the captain has told her that further south it does happen and she would like to see it. Yes, yes, yes. I understand that. Also, do you think Aidlin Colin has a big library? I bet he does. I bet he's got a huge library. I bet he doesn't. He can't read. <laughs> but uh yeah. Uh maybe maybe there's like a family library somewhere. Well, with Yasna and Navani, if she's going to be sister-in-law to Yasna. Could you imagine? Shalon's like, he doesn't have a library? This marriage is off. (laughs) But you mentioned pattern. And listen, I understand Brandon Sanderson is a genius. I understand this. But I still get so pleasantly surprised by the angles that he takes. And the way that these characters, they can all come from so many different viewpoints of well you believe this but I believe this and and it's not like Brandon favors one side or the other he explores all sides almost equally and in very great detail Mm -hmm. and so when she's trying to explain to Pattern to explain like what food is and how they have to eat it to survive he gets it but then he gets very upset that she has to destroy the food to eat it And so she talks about, like, he gets really simple and really abstract concepts, but being able to, like, link the two are, like, almost impossible for him or it or whatever it is. Uh, That's that's where the the chapter title comes from. Eat. I'm I'm not going to do the descriptions. I'm just going to do the dialogue. Mm -hmm. Eat. You make it into you. Yes, exactly. Terrible. Terrible? destruction what no it it's how we survive everything needs to eat terrible destruction to eat sorry it's very hard to do a vibrating voice so what do spren live on what do spren live on emily she says everything needs to eat to survive but he is so aghast about this concept does sill eat i haven't seen her do it yet no you haven't okay i love Inhuman characters learning about being human. That's why mm-hmm. Data and the Emergency Medical Hologram are my favorite Star Trek characters. <laughs> uh, and I love humans trying to explain very, what we feel are easy to grasp concepts. Like when she's talking to Pattern about memory and she's trying to explain what a memory is and concepts he understands. And they start talking about what is the first thing Pattern remembers. And Emily, the first thing Pattern says first oh with you yes and it's not even on the ship it's not even at the palinaeum or anything it's in her father's garden before she Mm -hmm. knew about any of this and so she starts to visualize this and she's sitting on the stone bench surrounded by plants and i guess she sees pattern like drawn out in the dirt or something like that but she's horrified at this idea or memory and so i don't know if she's remembering a specific day that she's tried to forget i am so intrigued to find out what happens how her dad died how she got her shard blade like i need Mm -hmm. to know and like i said the story has surprised me by having things happen faster than i think 
Mm -hmm. This is taking too long. We're only on page 100. (laughs) Remember, Pattern said, voice like a whisper. No, Shalon thought, horrified. No! The image vanished. It hadn't really been there in the first place, had it? Except it had. It literally has. Later, y'all mentions like, oh, you were studying this and you turned the deck green. And she's like, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Yalb is back. Oh, love you, Yalb. Um, they've got a new a new crewman. Uh, Yalb, I think, just calls him the new kid. They picked him up at Ahmed Lawton, mm-hmm. which is fun to say. Ahmed Lawton. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here's me being paranoid. Uh-huh. Remember how, uh, and I don't know how they would have pulled this off, but remember how Sadius's wife, Eli... Mm-hmm. was like yeah i've put spies everywhere and he's like soldiers and she's like no that was what people would expect i don't know how she would have found yasna Klin by this but i'm super afraid now that this new kid is bad news okay that's my that's my goal i mean my guess write it down and then rafo all right <laughs> but yeah uh pattern likes lies after after yalb does like a bit of bragging and stuff and then leaves uh pattern says lies Lies from the Yalb. <laughs> Pattern hummed softly. He seemed pleased. You like lies? Shalon asked. Good lies, Pattern said. That lie. Good lie. And Shalon is doing a lot of study. And Emily, there's a lot to talk about Sprendon here. But first, I want to talk about she's searching for a pack a passage in a book that mentioned talking about the Spren. Uh, that they're a step up from ordinary spren that have like cognizance and intelligence that don't just, they're not just flame spren that dance around a fire or rain spren that come in a storm. Mm-hmm. The Night Watcher is obviously one of these, Alayi wrote, Shalon copying the passage. The records of conversations with her, and she is definitely female, despite what rural Alethi folk tales would have one believe, are numerous and credible. Shubalai herself, intent on providing a first-hand scholarly report, visited the Night Watcher and recorded her story word for word. Hmm. I want you to note that Shalon finds some done spheres in her pocket, and she is she's noticing the spheres around her are running out of stormlight quite quickly. Oh yes. And then she says, How had the ones in her pocket gone done faster? It defied all reason. Mm, pattern said lies <laughs> mm. so we find out later that yasna tells shalon always keep like a basically a pouch of full fully charged spheres on you and kind of alludes to the fact that whatever shalon was doing on the deck had caused her to suck in stormlight and so i i wasn't a hundred percent I wasn't 100% convinced that Shalon was a radiant, mm-hmm. even though, like, I, I think she was, I thought she was more going to observe and not be one. But the idea that now she is taking in Stormlight and Yasna's like, here's how you prevent that, or here's how you're prepared for this. And I was like, oh, okay, she is one. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Because we've learned a couple different times now that different radiants have different 
jobs and powers that they aren't all combat radiance. Some of them are bread making radiance or small home <laughs> repair radiance. Uh, so Pattern says everything is lies. And I want to talk about the moment Shalon sees Yasna because Shalon goes to Yasna's quarters to get more spheres because hers are going out. And she sees she, the real yeah, the real Yasna for the first time. And we talked about the the layers of society and social boundaries between Dalinar and Kaladin. And I don't think Shalon even fully registered that the Yasna she saw was not always the true Yasna. The confidence had been overwhelmed by exhaustion, the poise replaced by worry. Yasna started to write something, but stopped after just a few words. She set down the pen closing her eyes and massaging her temples. A few dizzy-looking spread like jets of dust rising in the air appeared around Yasna's head. Exhaustion spread. Mm-hmm. And Shalon starts to quietly withdraw, but then Pattern yells, Truth! And this is the first time. Like, he's called everything lies up to this point, but seeing mm-hmm. Yasna like this, is he, he calls out truth. And this is when you add exhaustion spread to your spread watch list. Here we go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add it now. You know, Shalon explains that she needs Spren because hers have gone done. And Yasna's like, have you been soul casting? And Shalon's like, really? Like, no, I haven't. And then Yasna's like, okay, then it's your other, it's your other ability. Uh, it tells her to come on in. Listen, this boat is old. It's got issues. Like, Yasna's door won't even close properly. But um, Yasna asks Shalon what she did with the light. And Shalon says, I made plants appear. I made the deck turn green. So they start talking about what Shalon's power could be. And does Yasna give it a name? I feel like she does. Surge bindings. She it's, talks about surge bindings. Yeah. So so what Kaladin stuff that he can do, that is a surge binding. Mm-hmm. Um, Seth called it a lashing. Soul casting is a kind of surge binding. Yasna says, I will try on this diagram. One of the surges is known as illumination, the mastery of light. Yes. Oh, wait, was was her creating the plants on the deck soul casting? No. No, okay. The other. So, yeah, Yasna asked, were you soul casting? And Shalon's like, I wasn't. Then Yasna's like, okay, this is a different skill. Mm-hmm. And they have to they have to say what it's called in this chapter. I think... Whatever. If we run into it, we run into it. If not, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Listen, Yasna has been nothing but a fount of information in this book, so I'm sure she'll... If it's not in this conversation, I remember, I'm sure it's in the next one. Mm-hmm. Yasna tries to send Shalon, oh yeah, go to bed, I'm fine, and then fierce Bren show up. Emily, Yasna's mask is slipping, and I mm-hmm. feel like this is... This gonna be the start of something new that... Yasna and Shalon are just embarking on this journey of discovery together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's the thing. Yasna's mask is slipping. We're seeing exhaustion spread, fear spread, everything. And how Shalon is surprised at this. Mm-hmm. But we already know Shalon also has a lot of secrets herself. So I still feel they are not on an even playing field. Because there's so many secrets between them still. And I'm excited for Yasna to find out Shalon's secrets because I love Yasna, but she is so cocky and so sure of herself that she is always the smartest one in the room. And she usually is. And that she's always the most powerful one in the room. And she Mm -hmm. is. But the idea that this 16-year-old girl 
has experiences that Yasna has not had. And I'm just, I'm excited to see Yasna's reaction to that reveal. Uh, how do you think Yasna would feel if Shalon really did have a shard plate? I think she would want to get her and Adolin hitched ASAP even faster. Oh my get gosh. that in the family. The dueling cavalier. <laughs> <gasps> Adolin could teach Shalon how to duel. She could teach him how to draw. Um, Wouldn't that be romantic, Megan? They are, They would they mention again this city that uh, Yasna is looking for, Yurithiru? Mm-hmm. And Yasna uh, talks about her frustration that the church, so like her, she talks about her time in the Palinaeum that like it was helpful, but ultimately disappointing. And mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons why I think she was turning to those folk tales and those old stories because yeah. she couldn't find prime examples of the research that she wanted because the church has destroyed a lot of the historical records they find embarrassing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She and Shalon are going to go National Treasure Indiana Jones it up mm-hmm. and go to the Shattered Plains specifically to look for Girithiru and to find the treasure trove that has not been destroyed. They're looking for the Library of Alexandria. So there was a, I'm not sure if it was a pope or someone else who ranked high in the Catholic Church at some point in history decided it was inappropriate for so many naked statues to be around Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, especially naked male statues. And so they hired somebody to go and break the dongles off every statue. <laughs> but they kept them. They didn't destroy them. So there was just a box of stone dingle hoppers. And historians have been trying to match the broken dongle <laughs> with the proper hopper. Uh, and so it's it's interesting that like, Different eras in history have decided different things are acceptable. And so you get a bunch of revisionist history in that even a place as vast as the Palinaeum has been purged. Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically it's been like a living document that's been pruned and tended to and edited by the heads of the library system for years and years and years. And so Yasna uh, in her search for Eurothiru is... I saw the arm on my dress move. <laughs> um, is hoping to find prime sources that have not been altered because your theory has been out of reach of everyone for so long. Yeah. We were we were saying that, you know, Shalon and Yasna are similar to Dalinar and Kaladin. And while they aren't at a perfect even playing field yet, I think Shalon and Yasna are much further along. And Yasna gives Shalon a book. Oh, Words of Radiance. And it says the word I was looking for. <laughs> light weavers. Shalon light was weavers. doing light weaving. Got it. I know precious little about them, but of all the sources I've read, this one has the most information. Shalon took the volume eagerly. Words of Radiance, the title read. Go, Yasna said. Read. Shalon glanced at her. I will sleep, Yasna promised, a smile creeping to her lips. And stop trying to mother me. I don't even let Navani do that. <laughs> I love that Lightweavers, all the information that they have, or the most, the, the best information they have comes from words of radiance. Talking about, like, something that's radiant is bright and everything. I don't know. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but I really liked that. And then, Shalon's too tired to read anything and teach us anything new. Yeah, She so just she... goes to sleep. And that's all that happens. 
Is that all that happens? No. Emily, what happens? She wakes to screams, shouts, and smoke. What happened? And that's all that happened. But do you have any guesses? I I think that the dude they picked up was a spy and that he's they're going to try and assassinate Yasna to uh, weaken the Colin house. I mean, I think it only has to do with Yasna. It might have something to do with Shalon, but I'm pretty sure these people are here for Yasna. Okay. But they've underestimated her. But she's also tired and exhausted, so I don't know if she is going to be able to defend anyone and protect everybody. But she doesn't. She doesn't technically need the soul caster to do soul casting. I, I know. I, I know okay. she doesn't. I'm just saying from the previous chapter, she's exhausted and she's afraid, and there's all of these things, and I think somebody's going to make a mistake. All right. Uh, that wraps us for tonight. You said you had an announcement to make. Uh, you know how I usually have us read three to four chapters? Mm-hmm. We are probably going to have to change that. And I'm going to make a judgment call per reading because the next few chapters are short. So we are actually going to read four chapters next time. But okay. one of them is only like two pages. Mm-hmm. But uh, Emily, in the future, we may only be covering two chapters per podcast episode. Okay. Okay. Because as much as I love talking about Wave Kings for three hours, people have lives and they can't always listen to a three-hour podcast episode. And I have to edit all of them. And you have to edit all of them. So we are going to be reading 7, 8, 9, and 10. 7, Open Flame. 8, Knives in the Back, Soldiers on the Field. Ooh. 9, Walking the Grave. And 10, a very short flashback chapter called Red Carpet once white is that the chapter where we find out what happens to shalon's dad do you think they're why wouldn't they be kaladin flashbacks well i mean we've had plenty of his his time is over (laughs) all right thank you everyone for joining us Mm -hmm. i'm deeply looking forward to this next chunk of reading a lot but for now i have to get back to cleaning my apartment (laughs) i have to get back to writing my book it's due in two weeks You can do it. Do you know why? Why? I believe in you. I believe in you. Ready? Break! Hey, listeners! Thank you so much for listening to what I'm pretty sure was our longest episode ever. Uh, Warbreaker... Warmaker? Don't laugh at me. Whatever. The other one I think might have been the longest, but I didn't have to edit that one. But I did edit this one and it was a doozy. Anyways, thank you again for tuning in and listening. Uh, If you just can't get enough of us, just keep listening, I guess, because next Tuesday, uh, which is July 26th, that is when our next Our Flag Means Death episode comes up. I believe we are on episode eight. So there's only a few more episodes until that kind of arc is done. And then come back again on July the 28th, where you can listen to our next Roswell episode. Ah! Which, listen, that one might be one of my favorites. Oh, I love that one so much. Uh, that one is End of the World. I don't remember what 
episode maybe five anyway season two episode five but you'll have to listen and see if i was right or wrong because you go on to the next week august the second that will be our next our flag means death and then obviously on august 4th that's gonna be our next words of radiance we're just clipping along you got a lot of stuff you have a lot of things to choose from a lot of things to listen to and we're just very happy that you all have chosen this you know podcast I'm rambling. It has been such a long day. Such a long day. But it's getting to be the weekend and I'm so excited about that. And Megan's coming home because she's been in California. Anyways, another very special thanks to Michael Biancardi for the use of his song, A Passing Storm. We use it on all of our podcasts. Thank you, Michael, very much. And that's pretty much all the announcements for today. We will see you next time. And until then, just remember, we believe in you.